0: Welcome everyone to the Living Parables Podcast, where we uncover spiritual truth and lessons God has given us through His Word and our own life stories. I am Nate, your host. To all the listeners tuning in the show, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate every single one of you. Now let us begin. Well, I'd like to welcome you back to a brand new week, brand new episode. Episode 1 of Season 5 has been... um, received very well. I appreciate everybody welcoming me back and it is good to be back. So I'm just going to give you a heads up kind of where I'm at here. So we're about a week and a half out from me uh, going up to the pulpit and preaching and I'm just so honored, so thrilled. Uh, so overjoyed to be doing my absolute favorite thing in the world. And so I had to uh, print off, add on, take off, print off the sermon several times, and I feel that it's finally at a point where it's, it's ready. And now I'm just trying to immerse myself in the Scripture's so I'm not reading off of a printed-off copy the whole time. It It's a 16-pager, people. Which uh, I did a little test run on it, and clocks me in about 40-45 minutes. And so I'm, I'm really, really excited for it, and I'm excited for you to be able to hear it. But today's episode is something that you would do after the, that heart study. And we're today we're talking about a walk of a believer or the walk of a believer. The walk of a believer is extremely crucial in matters of salvation. A lot of people ask the question, you know, am I saved? How do I know if I'm saved? And one of the biggest indicators... Of a person that is truly saved is someone who bears fruit, and more specifically talk about fruits of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about obedience and dominating all of that, a truly transformed life. That is the ultimate mark of a believer. I used to be this way, and now I am this way. So our main scripture text we're going to be in today is Ephesians chapter 4. And we are starting in the 17th verse going all the way to the end of the chapter. Now, the, the actual subheading of this chapter and verse is the actual thing we we just talked about, the Christian walk. And as we go through the study, you're going to see several things happening. And I would really encourage you if you don't have your Bibles with you, pausing it, getting in there, having a notebook ready, And writing these things down. Because for me, I can listen to a sermon. And if I don't take any notes, I don't retain it that well. So what I'm saying to you now is I want you to retain as much of this as possible. And we're going to try to make this a uh, relatively... Succinct, clear cut, and concise study so that you will have a really good understanding of what these scriptures are saying. So, let's start off with the, the 17th verse, which says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being dark in the understanding, excluded. From the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. Okay, so let's start in verse 17. So we went we went a few verses in. And verse 17 is starting off with the bang already. So listen. This is Paul speaking through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So he says. So I say, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. Walking here is not talking about physical walking; it's talking about daily practice or conduct. Okay, you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. We all we know that Gentiles were any other race outside of the of the Jewish people. Well. This isn't talking specifically about that. It's talking about the ungodly, the people that don't know God, the people that are not true born-again believers. Okay, So it says, in the futility of their mind. You're not going to live the way that unbelievers live. That's not how you're supposed to conduct yourself. I mean, this truly is a Christian conduct lesson. And it says, in the futility of mind, that means vanity, emptiness, or, and this is crazy here, ineffective. In Isaiah, it talks about our deeds are like filthy rags to God. There is no one who does good. There's no one who's righteous, not even one. So you see the problem there. People that try to attain righteousness, holiness, and godliness on their own, it's futile. It's emptiness. It's ineffective. It's not going to happen. Because we know in Hebrews, it talks about without faith, it is impossible to please God. So people, what they try to do is they have a conviction inside, which by the way, comes from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. And here's what happens. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, but people do not recognize God as God. And what they do is they kind of reform their behaviors. And in that reformation, if you will... They. They don't necessarily fix every single problem that they have, but they do fix the some of the major ones. And maybe they they stop chewing tobacco or smoking, or maybe they give up drinking, or whatever the case may be, and they really turn their lives around. And I'm I'm grateful for that. But it, you cannot please God outside of being a true believer in His Son, Jesus Christ. There's no other way. That's why I love John 14, 6 so much because it's it's very absolute. So looking at this, verse 18 says, being darkened in their understanding. You know, it kind of reminds me of First Corinthians 2, 14. It says, The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit, Of God because it's foolishness to him, and he cannot, he says says it very clearly, he cannot understand them. And Romans 1 20 through 23, it says basically, basically what's saying here, folks, there's no excuse. They knew God, but didn't know him and honor him as God. And what's even scary about verse 18 in Ephesians 4 is that excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them them, because of the hardness of their heart. The continuation in sin will result in a hardened, calloused heart that is indifferent, insensitive to God and true spiritual things. And that's where verse 19 comes in. I I don't think we got to that yet, but we're talking about that hard, calloused heart and they haven't become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. And that sensuality word there is lacking legal or moral restraints. Nothing, nothing is off limits. So 17, 18, 19 are full of the way we used to be. Listen to verse 20. But you did not learn Christ in this way. You didn't learn of Christ in in carnality. You didn't learn Christ because of indulging in sinful practices. But it says, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. Let me say this. Three things I want you to underline or circle. Verse 20, learn Christ, 21, heard him, and in the same verse, 21, taught in him. See, the truth about salvation is giving you a broad, broad, open-eyed view of what some of these things are. For example, the, the truth of God, the truth about man and where they stand with God. Truth of creation, history, life, purpose, relationships, heaven, hell and judgment. Or all spiritual truth. It's found in Jesus. So, as we continue on during the study, it says here in verse 22 that in reference to your former manner of life, You lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. Now, here's the key word here, former manner of life, former. This is what we used to be like. And that word lay aside means that we strip off old, filthy clothing and put it off to the side. And that's the old self. We are not supposed to live by our desires anymore. We're not supposed to be following after our own lusts. The Bible even says that a fool trusts in his own heart. It's pretty clear that we're not to trust in ourselves. We're not supposed to trust in our hearts. We're not supposed to trust anything outside of Christ. And that becomes difficult. Well, I can't trust in my parents and I can't trust in my friends and my, my my grandparents. And Listen, unless people are born-again believers, they are living contradictory to God, to His will, to His commands, and out of their hearts breed discontentment and depravity. Now, something in verse 22 to to, to really take note of, it says, which is the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. You know, I want you to think of this corruption as someone who is like a drug user. If you've ever watched any of those intervention shows or shows like that, what you will see is, and it's a really sad thing, but when people start using drugs, you know, they still look normal. They're they're happy, they're glowing. Uh, they're the life of of family get-togethers and gatherings. And then as time progresses, they get you know, you, you can just tell they're flushed that that drug use and drinking and all those things that whatever this vice that they had is getting the best of them and it's taking away the strength of their flesh and it makes them look way older than it is. And so, you know, as we we think of this corruption, our spirits are corrupted by the lust of deceit. Because we tell ourselves, you know what, if I get this job, I'll be okay. If I can only get Mr. and Mrs. Wright, that's gonna that's gonna fix my problems. And in the reality, none of those things matter. Now don't get me wrong. Finding Mr. and Mrs. Wright is a very great thing if they're in Christ. Uh Doing a job that you love is is a wonderful thing if Christ is your foundation first and you're living and working for his glory and his honor. So those things are fine. But the lust of deceit, those are the things that come from our flesh, and that's where and that's where sin comes from. It comes from the desires that we have from within. Now let's look at verse 23. Let's, well, let's go back to verse 22, and then we'll read 23. That is in reference to your former manner of life. You lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Here's verse 23. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So we're going to hang here for for a little bit. Here's the first thing. The first thing is we are to take the former ways we used to live. Our former desires, our former passions, our former lusts that we were so controlled by. And now we've been giving spiritual eyes a new spiritual heart. We, We read about that before in Ezekiel 36. We have a new spirit within us. God has given us his Holy Spirit. And now we see that these things here, the things that we do, they separate us from God. Isaiah 59, 2. Our sins separate us from God. It hides his face from us. And now the thought of sin absolutely terrifies us and absolutely disgusts us. So we've taken that old self off and all those things. And maybe maybe you're like an onion. Maybe you have many, many layers of things that you've struggled with over the years that it's stripping off and stripping off and you're just trying to get down to that, that new self. But it says, and you be, verse 23, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. See, friends, we used to believe that this life was everything that was possibly it. We thought that if I just had this job, I had this girl, I have this guy, I have kids, I have this new house, a new car, that we... and How about this? Working to the weekend. Wednesday nights used to be a night where you just, you know, maybe sit back, kick... Kick your feet up, knock back a couple cold ones, and just can't wait for uh, Thursday night to come so you can watch a football game. And then Friday comes, and well, we're already, we're always hyped on Fridays. Then we have Friday nights to, and Saturday nights to whoop it up. And we can't make a church on Sunday because we're too hungover. And so, you know, God, God's sitting there waiting, like, I'm here. Eternal life is, is, right here with me it's the only way you don't you don't need to get drunk to have a great time. you don't have to get high you don't have to you don't have to compromise yourself for other people just for the sake of their approval but we do it habitually every single weekend and yet it still happens over and over again. But now we're talked talking here about being renewed in the spirit of your mind. See, I'm going to say here, when a person becomes a Christian, God gives that person a completely new mind. And a new mind and a new heart for moral and not just moral but moral and spiritual capability that a mind outside of God cannot achieve on its own salvation involves the mind people everybody says well take a leap of faith trust your heart trust your instincts trust your gut Uh, that's one of the worst pieces of advice you could give somebody and so As we're really in the heart of the study right now, I'm going to say it one more time. Salvation involves the mind. When you hear, when you're taught, and when you learn the things of God, especially in Scripture and I'm not saying some of these books that these Christian pastors have written are not are not good, that's not what I'm saying. I'd still say you got to be careful. I saw a book the other day. Not trying to throw shade, but it says God is not mad at you. That sends the wrong message. And I was so mad at when I saw this book that I really wanted to throw it away. Because that Absolutely sends the wrong message. God's not mad at you. Why do you have to change your behavior then? Why do I? Why do I? Why do I have to have a savior then if God's not mad at me? It says God is angry with the wicked every single day. Every day. Don't don't sit there and tell me that salvation doesn't occur in the mind. It does. The problem is. Is our, our eyes are spiritually blinded because of sin and it takes the Holy Spirit to revive us and make our spirits alive through faith in Christ so salvation involves the mind and after you become a born again believer that's when the journey truly begins And I will say this to you all who are young believers. And you might might be 50, 60 years old and be one or two years in the faith. Let me say this to you now. Get in the Word daily. Stay in it. Immerse yourself into the Word. Why is this so important, Nate? Because that's where it increases faith, Romans 10, 17. That's where you increase your faith. And I'm going to tell you something. If you're that young in the faith, there are going to be plenty of things that are going to be like, you're going to be like, what? I don't understand. I don't get it. And we think it's too hard, and so what we do, and that's what the problem is in today's society, we want the quick fix the, the easy peasy, we want all those things, but we don't want to work for something. We don't want to, we, we think we are so entitled that we don't, we shouldn't have to put too much effort into learning. No, it learning takes a bit. I'm learning every single year how to become a better teacher. And it's been working. Even Bible studies in my own house have become more clear, more concise, and a lot shorter <laughs> to my to my family's liking. I, I can literally sit there and talk about God. I don't know how long. I would really like to test run to see how long I could talk about God for. I feel like I could talk about him forever. Um, but we don't have forever right now. We have to get through this study. So, salvation involves the mind. And Scripture transforms the mind through the power of the Holy Spirit with that good work of that Word in the heart. Our eyes are now completely open. Remember when we read about 1 Corinthians 2.14 that the natural man cannot understand the things of of the Spirit of God? It says he cannot understand them. So that's why you need the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, working in you, so that you can understand those things. He's our teacher. He is the illuminator of Scripture. Matter of fact, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit here in a little bit, but let me just say this. You cannot be a Christian outside of the Holy Spirit. You can't be a Christian outside of the Father. You can't be a Christian outside of Jesus Christ, His Son. So the reality, my friends, is not that you pray some prayer and you become a Christian then you just walk this path alone trying to change all of your behavior. That's not how it works. And That's why That's why our slogan is everything is in Christ, with Christ, and for Christ because that's the honest to God truth. You can't walk this life alone. You can't, you can't be sanctified on your own. You can't understand Scripture alone. It's always with God. Christ. It's always with the Holy Spirit. It's always with the Father. Working together as one. For the sake of our sanctification, being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's the goal of every believer. Is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, His Son. That's your goal. If your goal is any other goal than that, it's wrong. And you must repent of that and turn away from it. But I keep hammering this point home still salvation is of the mind we used to think that the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life we used to think that was everything Now we're starting to see that that's not the case. We start to learn that well I've been given that advice about not to trust my heart and that's the worst advice someone could give me that's that's so countercultural. everybody's been given that advice and maybe we even gave that advice to ourselves. Or, giving it to other people. So, this renewal of the spirit of our mind, listen to verse 24, and put on the new self. So we talk about laying aside the old self, and now we put on the new self. Which is in the lightness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Now, something I just learned. I knew it, but I didn't know it was here. That's why I love the Bible, because it's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It's the living, breathing words of God. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's a living, breathing document. And God wants you to learn different things at different times. You could read over a scripture 20 times. And then a year later, you read over, you're like, oh, this is what God's trying to teach me here? That's, again, that's called sanctification. But listen to this. So, it has been created in righteousness and holiness. I want you to look at both those words. I want you to either probably underline both of those words. In righteousness, this is talking about a Christian's moral responsibility to fellow people, reflecting the table of the law the second table of the law and that's found in exodus 20:17 or 12 through 17 excuse me so there's two sections of the 10 commandments first half is talking about our responsibilities to god that's holiness and the second half is talking about our responsibilities to other people that's righteousness So those are the two things that I want you to focus on here. And that's what our new self is created in. Righteousness and holiness. How we conduct ourselves towards God and other people. You cannot be holy and righteous on your own. One of my absolute favorite verses as of late is definitely 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is everything. That is the gospel. If you you were to say, what is the gospel in one verse, that would be it. I know you're probably thinking, well, wouldn't you would probably say John 14 6 yeah, you could throw that in there but that is very clear cut and concise so our new self is based upon righteousness and holiness of the truth and what's the truth well what's the truth John 17 17 we know Jesus is high priestly prayer here's what he says very very simple Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. All of Scripture is God's word. So, holiness and righteousness come from being sanctified in the truth through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the work of the word, because you are a true believer in Jesus Christ. All your faith and trust is in him and him alone. Now, here comes another word here. Verse 25. Therefore. So, a lot of us don't know what therefore means, and I just I ask myself these questions all the time. What does therefore mean? Okay? Especially in the Bible, what does that mean? It means, for this reason. So, we're talking about the new self here. So, all these things you read, the former manner of life, we lay that aside. We lay aside the old self that's being corrupted and we put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, created in righteousness and holiness and in truth. For this reason, here it is. This is where the ouches come in. Therefore, laying aside all falsehood. Friends, this is all forms of lying. Stemming from, honey, did you take out the trash yesterday? Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. No. I forgot to do that. Send me from that going all the way to false religion and everything in between. no such thing as a white lie. God doesn't need you to lie to accomplish his will. God doesn't use sin to accomplish his will, okay, especially in a believer. so don't think for a minute you have to lie uh, to get God God's will done. So what are we supposed to do? Speak truth, each of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Here's what's interesting. The last half of verse 25 there, speak truth, each one of you, to his neighbor. That is found in Zechariah 8, 16. I would really encourage you to go read that. I love cross-references. And I have, I have a, this is just a little bit of a side note here. I just have such a desire just to get to, I, I want to get to know God so well and his word so well. And I just, I get frustrated at times because I just don't, I just don't know it. I don't know it. And I desperately want to. But with that being said, Speak truth. That's what we're supposed to do. Instead of lying, instead of all types of falsehood. Let's listen to verse 26. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Let me tell you something, people. Anger can be both good or bad. Righteous anger, or what you will hear a lot of people say is righteous indignation, same thing. Hates evil, hates injustice, hates immorality, ungodliness, or every other sin. There is nothing wrong with being angry towards sin. Now, here's the little asterisk here, if you will. Righteous anger cannot remain too long. If it does... It can lead to bitterness and anger that is considered sinful. So don't hang out in your bitterness. Do not hang out in your righteous anger. Be angry. Take it to God and trust him because he is the avenger of all things. He may not repay right away, but rest assured it will be taken care of. You have to trust him it's like i tell my students at time all the time you may not see me take care of this situation but i will take care of it in every situation i handle it so they trust me to take those take care of those things so if my students could trust me at seven eight years old shouldn't we trust god all the more to take care of those things and the people that inflict harm on us Aren't we supposed to pray for those who persecute us? See, my attitude with this has changed pretty dramatically because I don't want people that wrong me to be suffering the wrath of God. That that's not how I used to be. Trust me on that. But now I I, I think a little bit deeper. Uh, now my mind has been transformed to think, gosh, what are they going through that is leading them to confront me in such a way that is very rude, very destructive, very hurtful, and I pray for them. I'm not saying I'm perfect all the time in this, but I've gotten a lot more chill over the years, and that's, that's all to the grace uh, and glory of God. and it's without him that wouldn't be possible without him i would be fighting people left and right without without him i'd be i'd be i don't know it would not be good so let's continue on here as we're making our way towards the end verse 27 and do not give the devil an opportunity see friends we know that our enemy, the devil, has come to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10.10, 10, we know that. We also know that Satan roars around like a lion. He roams about looking and seeking those who he is going to devour. And it said his sin is crouching out uh, outside your door. It's waiting. It's waiting to pounce and attack you. When you least expect it. So going back to this righteous anger here, be angry and yet do not sin. You can be angry about sin. There's nothing wrong with that. However, friends, brothers, sisters, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not let that bitterness turn into something sinful because that gives the devil an opportunity. Verse twenty-eight: he, he who steals must steal no longer. That's any form of stealing is sin. He who steals—that's the hardest stone. That's that's contradictory to God. That's outside of His will. Must steal no longer. That see, see the transformation there. The transformation. Verse twenty-six: Where people get angry and then they, but they sin and they don't care because they're just driven by their emotions and rather than the Word of God. They're being led by their carnality rather being led by the Holy Spirit. Verse 28. Someone used to steal. They come to Christ. They steal no longer. But here's what they do. But rather, he must work, perform with his own hands... What is good? So that he will have something to share with one who has need. A true believer who has put on the new self in Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Get rid of every single thing that has held us captive, that has separated us from God, and we tear those things off through the word that we read. We read it. It convicts us. We repent of it. We ask the Holy Spirit to help us to completely rid ourselves of those things. And now instead of stealing, here's what we do. We work hard for the things that we have on this earth for the glory of God. And then we look to share with one who is in need. And a lot of people today, they'll be really philanthropic, but guess what they have to do? They have to have a camera following them wherever they go to document all their good deeds that they've done to post it on social media. I even see Christians doing that Christians pulling up to, you know, whatever place, buying people food, buying people gas, buying people, whatever, and document this whole thing. Or to they see someone on the road with a flat tire so they set their phone up so it can view them helping the whole entire time and do a time lapse and then post and saying, "Did my good deed for the day? Uh, challenge you to do that for for somebody else." And then they then they get all these people praising them and saying, "Wow, you're such an awesome friend. You're such an awesome uh, example of what it means to be a believer. Wow, look how great you are." Uh, if you want to, if you want to impress, if you really want to do the right thing. Do it while no one's watching. Do it for do it with the camera off. Do it and walk away as that is your only reward because that's what Christ would have done. Changes the perspective on things. Here's verse twenty nine. This is where the real big ouches come in. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Unwholesome here is Rotten, worthless, like spoiled fruit. I've been telling my students this, and I need to tell myself this sometimes, but if you have nothing nice to say, shut your mouth. And I know what that sounds like, but I really do mean that if you have nothing nice to say, keep your mouth shut don't 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 go there. Because we know that the words that come out of our mouth are from our heart. Don't you remember? Matthew 15, 18-20 and Jeremiah 17-9. That's where it comes from. It comes from the rotten, diseased, desperately sick heart. Sinful. Now, how are we supposed to speak? But only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Edification is uplifting, encouraging, instructive, building people up. That's what you're supposed to use your speech for, not talking every other, other word that comes out of your mouth as a four-letter word, but for the need of the moment. We need to be aware of others. We need to be fearless when speaking words of edification because you never know who needs it. Let me just say this right now. This is your challenge for the day. There is somebody in your circle. There is somebody at your work. There is somebody in your family that needs an edifying word from you. So that it will give grace to those who hear. We ought to be so immersed in Scripture that when we speak, we speak Scripture. They are the words of life. Jesus did that. You want to read his example? Luke 4, 22. Verse 30, we have a few verses left. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed on the, for the day of redemption. The word grieve here means intense pain or distress. The Holy Spirit is a person, by the way, just to let you know. He's not some mist He's not some—I don't know what people think. He's not a ghost, but he is a—he is a person. And some of the things that we're going to look at later on about the personhood of the Holy Spirit, um, when it speaks of Him, and talk about personal pronouns, personal care, believers, intellect, Him speaking, convicting people, serving God, and interceding for us. Those are just a few things. And we'll study that later on. But, again, this is what's interesting. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of eternal redemption in Christ for those who believe in Him. Okay? He seals it as a guarantee. So, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So, when we sin... When a child of God, quote-unquote, refuses to change their old ways of sin, that grieves the Holy Spirit with intense pain. You know what that intense pain is also in the Greek? Like childbirth. I don't think there's any greater pain on this earth than childbirth, from what I've told, because I'm not a woman. But if if sin grieves the Holy Spirit in that way, shouldn't that make us second-guess our actions? Shouldn't we think twice before we say that foul word that's about to come out of our mouths? Shouldn't we think twice when uh, we lie? Shouldn't we think twice when that anger turns into bitterness or speak in any type of falsehood or stealing saying a four letter word joking in such a way that's it's degrading or uh, inappropriate verse 31 says let all bitterness that's smouldering resentment and wrath which is rage passion in the moment and anger that's internal deep hostility and clamor it's an outcry a strife out of control And slander, which is evil speaking. So with all those, that new information, you know what those things are now. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice. And malice here is a general Greek term for evil, the root of all vices. So in verses 17... Through thirty-two, which we're about ready to read. I hope you've seen a connection here because we're about ready to reveal that in just a second. Verse thirty-two: Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. From verses seventeen through thirty-one. And 32, these verses summarize the changes of the life of a believer. So verse 31, you're taking away bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. It says put away, and it says be kind. Kindness here is, is pleasantness, usefulness, and gentleness to one another. Tender-hearted. tender heart is compassionate, merciful, It's like gut-level sympathy or empathy. Be compassionate. Because it wasn't for the compassion. If it wasn't for the mercy of God, none of us would be saved. And if God can forgive us for the sins that nailed his son to the cross, are you with me here? If God can forgive us our sins that nailed his son to the cross, we who have been forgiven so much by God, shouldn't we of all people forgive relatively small offenses against us by others? It's convicting, isn't it? So if you have been saved by christ you are brand new the old is gone and the new has come if this is a struggle for you means you're probably not in the word it means you're praying the wrong prayers you're praying for prosperity you're praying for health wealth and prosperity you're praying for all those things except to be transformed into the image of christ And you're not praying a prayer of asking God to sanctify you through the word. So, the walk of a believer, let's wrap this up. The walk of a believer is simply this you hear the word, you repent with godly sorrow. Put your trust and faith in Christ and Christ alone and embrace Him as the only source of salvation, the only hope of salvation. And you live your life fully as His servant. He is Lord. We are a slave. We spend every day in His Word, living for Him, for His glory. The old self is gone. We strip it off. We put it away. And we don't just put it away. We get we get rid of it for good. And once that's done, we put on the new self. We put on the new self. We put on the new self. So, with that being said, I pray that the Lord blesses and keeps you and gives you peace. And remember, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything is in Christ, with Christ, and for Christ. And until next time, God bless you all.